I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to evaluate three companies attacking a problem in different ways. We'll break down the different approaches. I'll be unnecessarily harsh to one of the companies, and we'll give you a rubric to break down and evaluate your own idea. And to do it, I've got to tell you a story about pens and a guy who misspelled my name in his intro email. Here we go. Hey, Brain. This is almost certainly the most common email mistake I get. People write, hey, brain, instead of, hey, Brian, a lot, and I take it as a compliment every time. I just assume it's a Freudian slip, not someone fat-fingering it on an iPhone. Game-recognized game, I guess. The email continued. I'm working on a startup that'll make pens for millennials. People assumed pens would go the way of the dinosaur with computers and phones. Note, I'm not sure anyone thought that, and I'm rethinking my excitement about him calling me brain. But pens are actually a growing business. U.S. writing instruments were a $16 billion industry in 2020 and will be a $23 billion industry in 2025. Yet, pens haven't really changed in decades. I'm cautiously intrigued. That's a lot of pens. The email continued. I'm building the Warby Parker for pens. Beautiful, minimal pens for millennials. A subscription service where they'll get three ceramic pens up front and subscribe to ink refills monthly. This will replace their Bic or Sharpie or Papermate. Millennials will love that it's better for the environment and the aesthetic and buying experience will be what they expect from an away suitcase. Also, they love ceramics. Note, what? If we get just 1% of this market, we're looking at a $200 million untapped opportunity. I'm looking to raise 500K to get the site built and Instagram ads rolling. The supply chain is straightforward. We'll focus more on the brand to start. Thanks for your consideration, signed Pen Guy. So, what do we think? Millennial pens? Big market? Seems to have not really changed in a while. Is this good? Is this bad? We'll come back to it. First, we've got to talk about coffee. After, a little smooth jazz. No ad this week or for the next couple. If you're interested in advertising in this slot and getting in front of thousands of entrepreneurs every week, email team at gettacklebox.com. And to the listeners, I've got an ask. A review on Spotify or Apple or way better, please text this episode or whatever your favorite episode is to a friend or post it somewhere. Something like 90% of our listeners listen to every episode, which is amazing. So if you're one of those 90%, don't be afraid to spread the love. And now, because I feel slimy asking people to share the pod, I'll pass along a quote I just saw. It is from the mid-1600s from a philosopher named Montesquieu, and it kind of blew my mind. Here it is, quote, If you only wish to be happy, this could be easily accomplished, but we wish to be happier than other people, and this is always difficult, for we believe others to be happier than they are. I guess humans have had this problem for a while. Back to coffee. Coffee is an exciting sandbox to play in as an entrepreneur for a few specific reasons. If you speak with anyone who's tried to build a startup and got punched in the mouth, they've got three things they'll never do again. 
the most common one after build something that's free for customers, but those folks usually never come within 100 feet of a startup again, is to solve a problem that doesn't pop up in their customers' lives constantly. A problem's frequency is maybe the least appreciated problem characteristic. There are lots of very real problems that just don't happen enough to support businesses, but to someone who hasn't done it before, it sure seems like they could. The graveyard of people trying to solve travel problems is littered with entrepreneurs who just couldn't survive the feedback loops. You make a great product, your customers love you, then two years later when they finally need your service again because they're finally taking a vacation they have control over, you're long out of business and you're running Porter's Five Forces charts at Deloitte. So these burned entrepreneurs claim they'll always solve a problem that happens frequently. As an entrepreneur and really a human in general, you should always optimize for buffer. You'll need time to make mistakes and to figure stuff out. Most importantly, you'll need time, lots of time, to watch your customers interact with the problem you're solving. There's a direct correlation between how frequently you watch your customers solve the problem and how successful your business will be. So second time founders smartly optimize for reps. The second thing they always say is they'll never again try to solve a problem they don't personally have. Projecting a problem on someone and then solving it for them is insanely hard. You can run as many customer interviews as you want. You can't ever really get inside someone's head. You need to know how the thing feels to adequately solve for it. And maybe more importantly, message for it. People only do things when there's good incentive to do them or bad incentive to not do them. No one does anything for no reason. If you don't understand those incentives or those incentives don't exist, you won't either. The last thing that they say is that they'll always try to build something with a moat something that becomes a habit for their customer, something that becomes electricity in the building that is their life, something with switching costs. Because it is so damn hard to get a customer these days, when they churn, it is physically painful and economically untenable. We have a dog walker for Ruby. She uses a service called Hoochie Poochie Club. That's one of my favorite businesses going and will definitely get its own episode soon. When the dog walker comes, even if Ruby's sitting on my feet happily while I write a pod, she'll hop up and trot right out the door. Not a second glance. That's what it feels like when customers leave, and that feeling sucks. Which means that lots of startup roads, particularly for second-time founders, lead to coffee. Coffee is a frequent problem and a daily behavior. Every day, often multiple times a day, lots of people need coffee. Coffee is also a problem most entrepreneurs have. We tend to like good coffee because it's part of the whole entrepreneur thing. People like us do things like this, and if you're an entrepreneur, you like good coffee. You appreciate it. I think it also stems from coffee being the only luxury good entrepreneurs can afford. There are few worse ways to make money than starting a company, and we tend to work from coffee shops because, again, we can't afford not to. Also, coffee is a habit. For four years, I woke up, walked out my door on 15th Street to Everyman Espresso on 13th Street, and bought a coffee. Some quick math tells me that's somewhere between $7,500 and $10,000 of coffee. That's pretty good customer lifetime value. And the frequency builds up an emotional bond. When COVID happened, the first business I donated to was Everyman. The last reason coffee is an attractive space is it's seen a bunch of great outcomes and the startup world is a copycat league. Obviously, Starbucks is a monster, but in the third wave coffee world, venture money has poured into and been returned handsomely by Stumptown, Pete's, Blue Bottle, La Colombe, Phil's, Intelligentsia, and a bunch more, win after win after win. And since most VCs were once entrepreneurs or think of themselves as entrepreneurs, they love coffee too. 
All that means there are lots of companies innovating in the coffee space, and today we're going to talk about three. Blank Street Coffee, Cometeer, and Nguyen Coffee Supply. Each takes a very different approach to this crowded market. I have a strong opinion on each, and evaluating each through two criteria will dramatically help you figure out how to build your business, and we might even end up solving that pen problem. We'll see. We'll start with Blank Street Coffee. It's very new. It launched August 1st, 2020, making it less than two years old, but it has already raised a boatload of money, over 30 million bucks. Blank Street's mission is to be basically Starbucks for millennials and younger. They've sliced and diced up Manhattan, precisely placing their Blank Street locations in what they consider coffee dead zones based on proximity of other coffee shops and that area's population. They've got a model that predicts how many coffee shops the population can support, and they are surgical with their placement. If you just saw one of these locations, you'd mistake it for a neighborhood spot. They're well-branded to look like the third-wave locations coffee drinkers are accustomed to. And the packaging, from their design to their menus to their social media, seem to tick all the boxes. And that is what they're doing, ticking boxes. It's a coffee sheep in wolves clothing scenario, and the company isn't apologetic about it at all. When speaking to Airmail in an article I'll link in the show notes if you're interested, the founders of Blank Street told the story of learning the food tech space. They'd been VCs who'd invested in food delivery services and ghost kitchens and realized once they understood the economics, the next step would just be starting up their own. When we thought of this model, it made sense that coffee was the way to start because it's such an important local good, Vinay Menda, one of the founders, said. They're positioned as lower priced than the craft coffee spots, but more crafty than the corporate behemoths. They cut costs by using a cameo machine that makes every coffee drink. Lattes are not made by hand, but the founder says this doesn't matter. Quote, maybe one in 500 people would be like, oh, it's an automatic machine. It's all perception. It takes the craft away from specialty coffee, he goes on, because that's redundant. Blank Street is betting that if there's a McDonald's two blocks away, you won't walk three blocks to get to a Shake Shack, even if you think you like Shake Shack more. Non-chain coffee shops don't seem strategic in any way. Blank Street will be strategic in every way. Maybe it'll work. Next up, Cometeer. Started a decade ago in Gloucester, Mass., which I may or may not have pronounced correctly. I don't know if it's like a Worcester thing, if it should be Gloucester. I don't really know with these Boston towns. Anyway, Cometeer is made by a bunch of mad scientists. As a side note, I simply cannot get enough of that one SNL sketch where they just rattle off towns in Boston for like seven minutes. I'll put it in the show notes. It's niche, but if it gets you, it really gets you. Anyway, based out of a former frozen food seafood facility, the company has created proprietary tech to churn out flash frozen pucks of coffee. These are placed in capsules that kind of look like K-cups and then delivered in temperature-controlled packages to customers. Cometeer has raised a bunch of money to do this, about $100 bucks, with a huge chunk of that coming since 2020 because they have been growing. The problem they're solving is clear. It's hard for people who love coffee to get instant coffee in their homes. While Blank Street treats their coffee in the brewing process like a commodity, Cometeer treats theirs as the differentiator. When you hear the CEO talk about the process, it sounds like a chemistry class. Quote, our extract maintains a high 14% TDS, so you can create an iced coffee, a hot coffee, and even espresso-based beverages all from one capsule. We adjust variables such as particle size, water chemistry, temperature, and pressure, among other factors, to create the perfect cup of coffee from each bean. 
As for the beans themselves, Cometeer lets the experts take over. They partner with the best specialty roasters for sourcing, including Joe Coffee, Birch, Counterculture, and others that coffee snobs will recognize. Those beans then go through Cometeer's process. To drink Cometeer, you put one of the frozen pucks in the glass and either add hot water for a hot coffee or a touch of hot water to melt the puck and then cold water and ice for an iced coffee. You could also make all the other drinks with froth, milk, and whatever else. You can only buy Cometeer direct to consumer, and you can only buy it in fairly large quantities, 32 cups at a time, minimum. It is also only subscription-based. You can obviously cancel subscription, but one-offs are not planned for or optimized for. This is meant to be your daily coffee. If you work from home and don't have a great coffee shop nearby, or live alone and don't want to make a pour-over, or just need a great cup in the afternoon, Cometeer is betting they can win you over with their amazing coffee and proprietary tech. If Blank Street is mediocre coffee a block away, Cometeer is great coffee 15 feet away. The last coffee approach we're going to talk about is Nguyen Coffee Supply. Nguyen is much smaller than the other two and takes a third, very different approach. Started in 2018 by first-generation entrepreneur Sarah Nguyen, Nguyen Coffee Supply is America's first specialty Vietnamese coffee company. Vietnamese coffee usually uses the Robusta bean, a different bean than traditional American coffee, but one that anchors an enormous amount of coffee sold worldwide. Nguyen's story echoes a number of successful startups we've seen. Something that's common somewhere else is brought to the U.S. where it's new for most of the population and a wonderful taste of home for the rest. Nguyen Coffee Supply offers a Vietnamese starter kit that includes the tool to make Vietnamese thin drip coffee, as well as Nguyen's specialty coffee grown in Vietnam and roasted in Brooklyn. The beans can be ordered via subscription or one-off. Nguyen herself is an award-winning roaster and spends a ton of time focused on the supply chain, connecting where the beans came from to the person drinking the final product. Blank Street makes average coffee more accessible. Cometeer makes great coffee more accessible. Nguyen Coffee Supply makes Vietnamese coffee accessible at all. So, what do we think? When I'm thinking through and evaluating a business, I always start with two prompts. I recommend you do the same for your business. First. I examine the promise, and second, I examine exactly how the product will grow. In 2022, I really think those are the two things that matter the most. Does it matter at all, and does it matter in a way that people will talk about it? Everything else is a bit of a commodity. We'll start with the promise. For a business to really have a chance, the promise you make to the first set of customers needs to be compelling. It also needs to be clear. Life is about boundaries, and this promise needs them. The promise should tell everyone why you exist and what you'll help your customer do. Ideally, this promise is all you need. Our new apartment is on the second floor of a brownstone. If I forget my keys, I'm locked out. Above the buzzers for my apartment is a sticker for a locksmith that says, 24-hour locksmith will have you in your home, on your couch, watching Netflix in your PJs within the hour. If I forget my keys, I really want that promise to be true. What is Blank Street's core promise? I'm not sure. It's definitely accessibility, but is that enough? Accessibility and slightly more crafty than Starbucks and Dunkin', more available than Starbucks and less expensive than craft coffee shops, the Eli Manning of coffee shops and that the best ability is availability? To me, it feels more like an Excel document with millennial branding. What I mean by that is that the promise, the most compelling part of the business, isn't a promise to the customer. It's a promise to investors. 
It's to the founding team or new hires or friends. It's a PowerPoint slide. You can almost hear the pitch. Starbucks is old and outdated, but efficient as hell. They've nailed process as well as anyone except maybe McDonald's. And we can do that too. We'll convert people who Starbucks isn't quite crafty enough for and people who go to craft coffee shops now but don't actually care that much and would prefer an easier, frictionless, cheaper experience. If we're closer, we'll win their business. You can even visualize the slide with all the exits of the blue bottles and the intelligentsias. They may wink and nod and say they'll only steal Starbucks and Dunkin' folks, but they're lowballing the local shops and looking to take all of them out too. It's unemotional and implies that the product and the customer are unemotional too. They're trying to make it like electricity. But is it? Customers want what they want, not what you want them to want. And there's no specific initial customer who will be really excited about this, which basically always spells trouble. We talk at Tacklebox a lot about franken customers. A franken customer is a user persona that's made up of little bits of lots of customers you've spoken with and maybe some characteristics you've made up thrown in there too. It's a customer who goes to Starbucks now but would be swayed by better UX in an app. Or a customer who goes to Blue Bottle because it's two blocks away now but would go to Blank Street if it were only one block away. Franken customers look great on slides but usually weren't actually real people. Franken customers lead entrepreneurs to solve problems that don't actually exist. When you're figuring out your promise, it's important to have someone specific in mind. This person that I know who currently does X would absolutely lose their mind if Y existed. And they tell all these other people who I know exist about it too. And those people would convert. That's what a promise does. And the product comes after. The product delivers on a promise that matters. When you realize Blank Street's promises to investors and not to customers, it becomes easy to predict the type of product decisions they'll make the ones that support the Excel sheet that has the profile of the business as a billion dollar exit, the ones that maximize margins and cut corners on product because again, the customer doesn't actually care about the quality of their product. To succeed, Blank Street will need to earn the customer loyalty and goodwill that Blue Bottle and Phil's and Intelligentsia and all the others built up over years or decades. Also to succeed, Blank Street will need to not do any of the things that those other coffee companies did to earn that loyalty. Blank Street, is a shortcut. It feels a whole lot like Quibi to me. I'll link to that episode, the one where I predicted Quibi would fail eight months before anyone else did, before it even publicly launched. Solving an invented problem with an invented solution because if it all works, the Excel sheet looks good is dangerous. And when it doesn't, it's easy to say, well, hell, we gave it a good run. But you didn't. For anything to grow, it needs true fans. True fans need to be emotional about the promise. And humans are incredibly good at sniffing out authenticity and things that are inauthentic. And Blank Street is throwing a whole bunch of empty calories at customers and hoping they won't notice. I think they will. Next, what's Cometeer's promise? Craft coffee shop quality coffee in single servings in your home instantly. Well, shit. That's a promise people will want them to keep. That's a promise I want them to keep. That's easy. That travels. You know how I know it travels? Because I've been told by literally 10 people in the last four months to try Cometeer. And they all say the same thing. I had no idea instant coffee could be this good, but it is. They use counterculture coffee. You've got to try it. After hearing about it five times, I did. And it's amazing. I'm drinking an iced coffee from there right now. It solves the iced coffee problem for me. I don't brew that at home, and it's like six bucks at a local shop. 
Cometeer is two bucks per pod and it's better than my local Joe. My friends who love coffee can't stop talking about it. My friends who just found out that coffee can taste different can't stop talking about it. It's everywhere. Imagine talking about Blank Street. What would you even say? Hey, there's this new place that's nearby. Product innovation, a business model that makes sense with the product and the promise, and direct word of mouth channels for growth. Bang. And finally, Nguyen Coffee Supply. The best promises are emotional, and there are few I like more than this one. Hey, remember the type of coffee you used to drink? The type that tastes and feels like home? Now you can have it here. That promise is powerful, and if you follow the through line, you can see how the product, the marketing, and the DNA of the company will all align. It's from home, so it needs to help the people from home, which it does. Nguyen is clear about elevating their partners in Vietnam growing the beans. The first group it'll grow with is clear, expats. But you can see how they'd be proud and happy to share this technique with friends, where it can naturally grow. The promise leads to sharing, as most great promises do. People share things that are emotional, things that make them proud, things that teach people something, and this does all of those. But the innovation or advantage for Nguyen isn't what, but where. There are few communities tighter than expats. The structure for them to interact almost always already exists, and when something like this pops up, it spreads fast. That type of growth channel is unique to Nguyen, and these expats can then act as a hub-and-spoke strategy as they introduce it to all of their local friends. The longer-term growth for Nguyen might not seem as big as the other two, but it could be. Nguyen could own Vietnamese coffee in the U.S., which is quite a position to be in, and then spread horizontally or vertically. It all starts with a promise people want them to keep and a healthy portion of trust. I'm being too hard on Blank Street, and I'm doing it to prove a point. If the thing you're doing doesn't really matter to any specific type of customer, you're taking a huge bet, an unnecessary bet. You're relying on other tactics, things like raising an enormous amount of money to grow artificially rather than organically, and hoping that eventually you're just ubiquitous enough that you drown out the competition. I think that scenario is unlikely. The much better approach is having a customer that drives with Seth's people like us do things like this. I'm a person like X, so I go to Blank Street. Saying it's Starbucks for millennials is patronizing. Brand and marketing are too. But the value could be pure availability, which again can build allegiance over time. They also pay their baristas really well, so maybe you'll have the same one over a longer period of time and build a relationship there. And maybe this is all part of their plan. Maybe they're using these early locations to watch customers interact, learn what they need, and build more specific product lines. Who knows? I just think I like the other two approaches much, much better. Find a real problem that matters to specific people, make a promise they'd love for you to keep, build a product that keeps that promise. Now, let's finish up with the pens. The funny thing about writing utensils is that I actually have recommended one about 15 times in the past two months, but it's not a pen. It's a waterproof notebook and waterproof pencil that go in the shower. I have lots of podcast ideas in the shower, and I found a waterproof rig that lets me write them down. And I cannot stop sharing it with people. I'll put it in the show notes. When you share stuff, you reinforce the type of person you are. Sharing the pencil in the shower makes me feel creative. I must be if I have so many thoughts I need writing utensils at the ready at all times. That Aju serious joke isn't going to remember itself. So what's our pen friend doing wrong? Basically, he's kind of building like Blank Street. He's building the product he wants his customers to want because it looks great on a spreadsheet. 
The way to actually grab a piece of the market is to start with a promise some segment of the market would love for you to solve now. A problem they're already trying to solve, like me before I found my waterproof pencil, typing on my iPhone as I got wet and deleted stuff and was an overall disaster. Problem, promise, product, in that order. And, as always, if you want to do this with us, head to gettacklebox.com slash ideas and apply. We'll give you an answer within 72 hours and we'll be fleshing out your business right after that. Have a great week.